you for joining us for live paranormal radio. From the paranormal to the unexplained, it all happens here. It all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in our live video chat 24-7 with our live paranormal radio show hosts and other like-minded people. Live. Paranormal.com, the only interactive social chat room supported by Full Interaction Media. Stop by now and join the fun. Stop by now and join the fun. It's Haunted Playground right here on the Live Paranormal Radio Network. You can find us at LiveParanormal.com, iHeartRadio.com, and all of our affiliates, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podomatic, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, iVox, and more. I'm your host, Sheena Metal. I'm a psychic medium. I'm an interfaith minister. I'm a 28-year talk radio host in Los Angeles and beyond. I'm a creative and performing artist, and I come to you live from my home in Southern California every Tuesday and Wednesday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. This show is about everything that lives beyond the realm of the three dimensions. So whether you want to talk about God, the afterlife, you want to talk about uh, ufology, demons, or you think that you might have a Bigfoot in your backyard, it all belongs here on Haunted Playground. And every week I gather folks that I believe to be the brightest and most beautiful minds and hearts and souls, and we talk about all things that go bump in the night as it should be. My guest today is returning to the show, and he is a wonderful ufology expert. He is part of MUFON, and he has a brand new film that has just come out, and it's such an honor to have him back here. Uh, Please welcome the wonderful Ron James. How are you, my friend? It's good to hear your voice, and I'm very excited to have you back here with me. It's good to be back. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. So we saw each other at the Parapod Festival where we both spoke, and um, then your film came out. So April was quite a month for you. Yeah, it's been quite a Um, whirlwind. Do you do do a lot of conferences like that? Do you do a lot of speaking engagements? Do you love that? I really do enjoy it. I, I probably do about maybe six a year. I think that's great, yeah. And do you always speak on the same thing or speak on depending on, you know, kind of what's going on in your life or what what new information you've received? I mean, how do you decide what you want to talk about? Um, Generally, it has a lot to do with what's going on with MUFON because I'm their media guy, uh, their media relations director. But also, um, yeah, what's going on in ufology, what, what role I'm playing or if I have new shows or new media coming out. Um, there's always something new to talk about. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's every time I every time I start to uh, watch something, a documentary, or read something, I suddenly have 300 more questions. And um, watching something on on Discovery Plus last night about abductions, I had this really weird thought: like, can't we do anything to stop this? And then I started laughing, right? Because human beings were like, we're like ants in an ant farm compared to the level of intelligence and technology and, and um, I think just age of species that a lot of these species have. Um, but isn't that funny? As people, we always think first like, well, wait a minute, can I fix this? Um, but I think that yeah, even makes it even more scary. Well, it makes you more helpless, right? I mean, I'm sorry? 
Oh, you're right. I don't think there is anything we can do about it. Whatever they are, and there's probably plenty of they's, different ones, they're going to do whatever they sure. want to do. And um, we just have to hope that uh, that there's not a, a disastrous end awaiting us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's interesting because in all the all the time in my life I've been in the uh, paranormal community, which is probably most of my life. I mean, I can tell you a hundred things to do to avoid spirits in your house, to stay away from negative energy, to get away from it if it's coming from your family. It doesn't always work, but I can help you make it ninety percent better. I have absolutely no advice for what to do if you're a regular abductee, because no matter where you go, they'll find you, right? Moving doesn't help. Changing the energy in the house doesn't help. Changing your energy doesn't help. I mean, literally nothing helps. It just is what it is. And there's not a lot that you can do about it. I mean, I I remember as a kid being really scared for my friends that had epilepsy because I always thought, how horrible could it be that you never knew when the seizure was coming? And last night I had that same thought as I was watching something about abduction. You just don't know, right? You go to sleep at night, you walk through your life, you don't know when it's going to happen. And I think that um, humbles us as a species. At least it it adds a lot of humility to my life. So um, I, I, I have nothing but utmost respect and admiration and empathy for folks that are going through that journey. You know, it's really interesting. I've been doing more public appearances, and, and one thing that I've noticed is that people will come up to the MUFON booth, and I can tell an experiencer almost instantly because they all have the same mm-hmm. kind of energy about them. It's like they want to talk, and they're afraid to talk. They're, they're, even if it's not a, you know, even if it's not a malicious experience, it's still absolutely shocking to the system what these people go through and they and almost all of them have the same kind of air about them and you could just tell um the, you know it's kind of like a mix of trauma uh caution um fear of actually coming forth and and sharing what's happened to them uh but i see it and i can recognize it it's it, it's almost as soon as somebody walks up it's the same thing every time yeah and when you watch them, you have an epiphany, right? So when you were here before, I told the story about the experience I had where they were around my bed, and then years later somebody said they came and took something, and then they couldn't find my ovary when I had my hysterectomy. Remember I told you that story last time? So yep. as I watched that thing last night, this morning I woke up, and probably because my ovaries were possessed by a devil, I had like maybe 10 surgeries between the time I was 16 and the time I was 23, and every time they went in, the doctor always said, if we find your appendix, do you want us to take it? Because my grandmother had died from a ruptured appendix during the Depression, and my mother had had a horrible uh, ruptured appendix when she was 16 and almost died. So the ruptured appendix was something that, I, like, I hung over me my entire life. And every time they would come back and say, we couldn't find the appendix, we, were, we had you under as long as we could, and we couldn't find it. Right up till the surgery where they couldn't find the ovary, they also couldn't find the appendix. And this morning I woke up and I thought, did, did they take my appendix? I mean, you know, it's crazy to even think it. As you say it out loud, you, you envision the laughter. But did they, you know, where is my appendix? So now two things were missing. So you have to wow. kind of wonder sometimes, right? I mean, it's where is my appendix? And why did that occur to me until just now? All the times they couldn't find it because 
that was something that was a concern from, you know, my mom was 16 when hers happened. So that was a concern pretty much my whole life was, you know, watch out for the appendix. So, you know, maybe not everything they do is bad. Maybe some things they do are to fix things that are going to cause you problems. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure that everything they do is bad, for, especially from their standpoint. The idea that we're some sort of a genetic testing ground or a resource for, for DNA, um, that seems to be a pretty prevalent uh, theme that just keeps recurring. Yeah. Right now, I wish they'd come and take 100 pounds. Do you think they could do that? <laughs> probably. Should I ask? <laughs> they probably suck it yeah, out Yeah, well, you know, nose, they could though. always you could take an age regress you back. That would be a handy one, right? You go up years old and you come back 30 i'd take that i'd take that what's that going to happen i'd love that so talk to me about your new film i know we talked about it last time when you were here a little bit but let's talk about it a lot today and what sort of the premise of it is because i know when we talked about it before we talked a little bit about how it's kind of the next sort of the next phase of what people interested in ufology are asking right the next kind of set of questions there's a lot of that in there as far as, um, you know, what, what's, what's the latest kind of things that people are talking about and the latest theories that are being put out. Um, so, yeah, the film's called Accidental Truth UFO Revelations, and it's narrated by Matthew Modine. It came out on okay. April 18th, and it's been in the top – we don't really have any way to gauge its success at this point because we don't get numbers from the outlets. It's available on Prime and, and um, uh, Apple and iTunes and uh, Vudu, Redbox, you know, pretty much any place you can rent a movie. But the one thing that we have is the Apple charts, and it's uh, it's been in the top ten of uh, documentaries since it came out. Um, it's been as high as number two, and today it's at number seven. So, and that's worldwide for for the documentary genre. So that's that's some indication that people are watching it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love Matthew's voice. I've interviewed him before. Yeah, he He's been in studio. Job. He's such a lovely man and has this beautiful energy, and it kind of all comes through in his voice. You know, he really is. And and I've heard other people use that exact phrase to describe him, including his agent that, that hooked us up. And so, yeah, um, having Matthew Modine aboard has been a real blessing. He's been supportive of the film. He's been tweeting about it. Um, and it's just awesome what these guys are doing. So that is very valuable to me as far as a resource because without his real genuine enthusiasm, I don't think we would have got the word out quite as much as we have. We've, we just won our sure. 11th award. I forgot. I think we did something called the Paris Film Awards or something. But we've won 11 now um, of bona fide film competitions and film festival awards, including we won the, Par- the Parapod. At, uh, at the, the first annual Parapod Film Awards, we won the best documentary. Nice. nice, that's fantastic. Nice, they should have had a screening of it for us all to watch there. They were going to at first, and then something happened that they had to tear it back. But it was, uh, it was, it, it's a great looking trophy. It's a little alien guy with a movie reel in his head. It's, a, I really wanted I, it. <laughs> right, I was so impressed with that. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about um, some of the ideas coming through in this film that you think are things that, Ron, that we're, are not the same things we talk about over and over again. 
Well, you know, in a lot of ways, it is a lot of the same things we talk about over and over again for the first two-thirds of the film, but it's presented with brand new evidence and brand new um, revelations by guys that aren't really here to tell us information, Um, but in the film, they kind of do it by accident because I'm very clever in my interviewing techniques, and so (laughs) we have... We have, we have Lou Elizondo actually pretty much admitting that there is a non-human intelligence engaging us. Christopher Mellon pretty much accidentally admitting that there is a group studying crash debris. We have Robert Bigelow and Gary Nolan both pretty much letting the cat out of the bag that, yes, there is materials that are being studied. And then we, we got our hands on the report about the materials, what they are. Um, some of the technologies that have been studied. These are all through freedom of information stuff. That, so they've come out. But nobody's stitched it together and done it in such a way that um, the uh, the mainstream people can watch this film and, and really get up to speed all the way up until today about the UFO phenomena. And then we we pick up about, well, but what is it? And what does it mean? And what does it mean to humanity and, and us? And so that's when it gets really exciting. We start to delve into uh, the fact that the ET phenomenon cannot be explained by aliens. They, they could exp- the alien hypothesis could explain a small amount of what we're dealing with, but it doesn't cover all the bases. And we have, a, we have somebody who actually comes forth and admits having run one of these secret government programs that nobody talks about that they deny and talks about some of the stuff that they discovered. And, you know, they were tracking craft that have the same – characteristics is what we've seen with the 2017 release they've been tracking craft like that since since the 50s and since the 60s and so the whole time they've been saying you know oh yeah we closed down project blue book because there was nothing to see it's all been one big lie and and it's it's a it's a shame to watch it sometimes when i was making the film i would literally just have to take a second look at the person whoever was up on my screen at the time and just shake my head Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it, I mean, this is probably going to sound crazy, but (laughs) not as crazy as perhaps the aliens took my appendix. Um, There, I mean, I think it, I think we say it goes back to the fifties. I think it goes back even farther than that. I think it probably goes back to the dawn of, for as long as they've been visiting. I just think, you know, governments in whatever form a government is, even before there were what we call the government when it was just, kingdoms and queendoms, I'm pretty sure there's always been uh, somebody saying, what is this and what do we do about it? Um, well, there, in whatever you know, the, thought it was. Oh, go ahead. I said in whatever they thought it was at the time, even if at some point they thought it was aliens or, I mean, excuse me, they thought it was angels or demons or whatever, I bet there's always been someone, even if it was like at the Vatican, there's always been someone keeping an eye on it. And, and think and making notes on what it is somewhere there's I bet if you if you took if you unleashed every secret book at the Vatican you would find a whole volume of them just on that well you know that's certainly true and I interviewed Danny Sheehan uh, for the film he makes a couple of appearances um, one of the unpublished parts of the interview was his entire story about uh, you know Danny Sheehan is a famous civil rights lawyer he, he did the Karen Silkwood case and several other high-profile cases, but he was also, for a time, he was the attorney for the Jesuit order. 
which is uh, which is a religious order affiliated with the Catholic Church, and he sure. worked on a project with uh, Jimmy Carter to petition the Vatican to let the American government into their archives and uh, about the, especially relating to UFOs, and the Vatican right. turned him down just flat out turned him down. So um, right. So yeah, it was. Um, this has been going on for all of recorded history, and the guy that yeah. ran the, uh, the the program that we're talking about, um, John Alexander, he 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 as much as says that. He frankly he says, yeah, you know, UFOs have been around for all of recorded history. They're real, um, and so he, you know, this is the first time somebody who has spent his career telling us all that there's nothing to see and there's no secret government program. Finally, coming out and admitting, well. You know, there were some government programs, and I ran one of them. And so it's, you know, the, this whole film is one shocking revelation after another. And when we, uh, I know you're asking me about what some of the other possibilities are, and we can we can dive into that here in a sec. But, um, sure. yeah, the, the, I, these things have been around since the, the dawn of, of our civilization. They've been with us yep. from day one. Yeah, because even before written history, right, there are, cave walls where things have been etched. I mean, my favorite is the one, is it South American, where there's something that looks like a little ship, and then there's something that looks like a little guy with, like, a bubble on his head, like an astronaut helmet. It's like, really? (laughs) Where did they get that carved, you know, um, know, before the birth of Where did they get that from? So, I mean, clearly it's been a thing. And I wonder if there was ever a time, and I believe there was, um, although I haven't any proof of that, when they came and visited and it was much more of a, an open and cordial relationship. Um, I mean, some people might have been upset if they got probed, but you know what? In ancient civilizations, they gave people to different things for sacrifice and slavery, and I was probably, probably giving something up to the aliens for some probing and brain surgeries probably wasn't that big a deal to them. But I really believe there was a time when it was a much more open thing that, hey, sometimes these guys come, and this is what happens when they come. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because if you compare that with mythology, uh, then, you know, the whole alien-human interaction is kind of a mixed bag. There's the, there's the idea, you know, like the Anunnaki came down and uh, uh, bred us to be a slave race to mine the planet for gold, according to Zachariah Silchin. Uh, you know, maybe. Uh, something, something certainly happened, and those texts are definitely telling a story. Uh, you know, there's debates about the, the legitimacy of the actual translations, but I personally think that the, you know, that's the oldest form of writing known to man was what came out of that time period telling that story. Yeah. And if you're a, if you're a, a, you know, a fledgling human civilization and you just now are discovering writing, um, you know, in Samaria and you're going to start writing about something, what is the point of writing a fiction? Um, you know, I think they did the best they could. And I think the translations are, are um, as, as best as we can get them. But they tell a story about another intelligence engaging us. And the, these stories are rife through history. So there's nothing new about this, except that as we get more sophisticated and more technologically advanced, it's more important to keep them out of the picture to allow us to self-determine. I think that's really what's going on here and now is that we're at, a, we're, we're at a point where we've earned or been given the right as a species 
to self-determine and, and, and be the masters of our own fate. And I obviously I can't say that on behalf of being like MUFON standpoint, but it's my personal take is that we're in, we're in something like that. And, um, yeah, we're not doing a very good job, you know? Well, and also if, if the, and I like this theory a lot, if, if the, if wherever they are, and let's just pick one species out, let's say the, the species that mainly comes in and does the, the experiments, the grays, let's say, um, if it is true that perhaps where they are, they have either evolved a path or for environmental reasons lost a lot of their biology, perhaps their planet has dried up in the same way that our planet is drying up. Um, all planets are right, just dead stars, and they have their own um, their own time, right? Everything has its own time, even if it's a billion years. That's still time. Um, that they maybe found a planet that was lush and thought, you know what, this would be a good place to grow some stuff. And part of what they grew was us. I mean, that's not that's not out of the realm of thinking when you think about what if in our orbit let's say the moon suddenly became lush and greenery started growing all over it. You think we wouldn't go up there and grow vegetables and grow fish and grow animals and maybe grow people. Um, We might do it a different way because we're still a fertile species, so we would send people up there to propagate. But if you no longer had the ability of that, Maybe you would, you know, take a little bit of your DNA and, and propagate an us but different. And then you'd want to keep it coming back and checking on it in the same way that scientists go back and check on their stuff all the time. I mean, that's what it's always kind of felt like to me. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, we don't know, uh, obviously, the big picture. But one thing that's for sh- that, that we can surmise is that if there are um, – you know, extraterrestrial alliances and, and the, the universe is rife with different types of life, um, then they've got to have some sort of uh, of organization or affiliation like the United Nations. They don't all have to be on the same page. They don't have to all have to be even the same kind of life forms. But in order to, you know, not have intergalactic war be the theme, uh, there's got to be some kind of tenuous peace. And so, and then if, if that's the case, then a, a planet that's in the Goldilocks zone, capable of this diversity of life, that would be quite a piece of real estate and something that is of high value for a lot of reasons to different species. And so none of that is a stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think we all have different things that, that make make sense to us. And that is one that makes sense to me that I think it because it seems like something that humans would do. And these beings seem to be humanoid. So it makes sense to me that they would try to do something like any, um, you know, apex predator, which is try to control a, a domain. And, you know, look, we're talking about sending people to the moon and there's not even anything there. We're just going to bring all our stuff and, make it in domes but imagine if we found a place that was like a brand new you know earth millions of years ago with almost nothing on it and everything fresh and clean and a beautiful environment for growing 
imagine what we would do. I mean, imagine what we did to this country when we first discovered North America. We were like, oh, my God, look at all the natural resources. Let's make things. Right, exactly. So, and so we don't know the uh, the extent and the age and the technological capabilities or the motives or the desires or any of these things about extraterrestrial species. And then, you know, the film – we were talking about what else does it talk about? It goes into some new discoveries about the human brain that really help to uh, bolster the experiencer phenomenon and some of the things that have been found uh, in some recent studies. It's really exciting stuff. Nobody knows about it. And then we have That's the awesome. uh, we have the questions. You know, it's like, well, if they're not only aliens, what could they be? And we have, uh, right. you know, we have Michio Kaku chiming in about interdimensional beings. It's uh, it's like you know, he's been making the rounds on the UFO stuff, but we get him to actually talk to us about real instances of, of evidence that we have, like uh, isotopic ratios of, of materials. What exactly does that mean from one of the most famous scientists? And, and he will tell us that uh, a material can be identified. We can figure out what it is. It could be, you know, it's made out of titanium and aluminum, and it's fused together in this way. But it's the isotopic ratios of the material and how these characteristics are defined by how and where and uh, how they're made. And we're finding materials that have isotopic ratios that can't be made on planet Earth. And so um, that is a hugely revealing piece of the, of the materials puzzle. And then we have, uh, we have Congressman Tim Burchett. I sat in his office. I have the video. I haven't released it yet. Um, he's in the film a lot, but I have video of me sitting in his office, laying out the whole story to him from the beginning, from Roswell all the way until now. Um, so we have an actual uh, video of a of a UFO person sitting in a sitting congressperson's office, telling them the whole story, and that's what Mufon's been doing behind closed doors for for a year now as laying these guys out and so laying the story out for for everybody we've had almost 300 wow. meetings so far and so when we see things like these hearings pop up where everybody's acting like they don't know what's going on well we're, i can tell you that for whatever reason they have to they have to do this um they know andre carson yeah. knows what's going on he i mean he doesn't know because he's been privy to top secret information He's just as frustrated as the rest of us, in all honesty, and he's a good guy. Um, but he knows that, that it's a dog and pony show and that we're being lied to. He certainly knows it because we've told him and he's and he's acknowledged it. I actually had lunch yeah. with him two months and I certainly told him. How much of this film, how much of the information in this film did you know was going to be in the film before you made the film and how much of it was sort of, Oh my God moment. Um, it was almost all of it. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I still have the post-it notes up on my wall. When I first set out to make the film, I, I knew what it was going to be, but, um, and basically at the end of the day, what it is, is it's about proof that they, that we have recovered crash debris and materials have been studied and technology has been studied. Uh, coming from places that have not been, you know, this is not a we think. It's not a it's not a film by one of these other people out there going, oh yes, they have all this technology, but there's no actual proof. 
we deliver a very solid chain of evidence through government documents and, and uh, corroborating witnesses. And the witnesses are, are you know, the, the, the people that are in a position to know. So we have Gary Nolan talking about the stuff that he studied. We have uh, uh, Lou Elizondo making admissions that still to this day he hasn't made anywhere else. Um, and we we have the guys that, that that would know what's going on. We you know we wanted to go into the the story about the uh, how the New York Times article was written, and so we we got Ralph Blumenthal to sit for us, and and he's the one that broke the story. So the film itself didn't really change from the beginning, but what did change is that I was able to add some really exciting people. It, it was after I started that I got Congressman Burchett. It was afterwards that I got. Uh, Dr. Dr. Cockery to come in. Um, Ralph Blumenthal wasn't part of it in the beginning, and either was Gary Nolan. So those four interviews just absolutely made the film, and that's what changed over the course of making it. But I'm amazed when I look up at the original uh, Post-it notes that were uh, that that outlined the film that have been on my wall now for two years. It's still the same film, and um, and I'm kind of proud of that because I had a solid vision from the beginning. And it held up through the yeah, process. So it was never when I went, oh, I'm not going to do that. That That's dumb. I should, I should cut that part out. I mean, there are some sections that ended up not being in it. Um, but the, the film, its premise, the power of its evidence, and the power of the delivery, all of it survived the process of, of being made. Yeah, that's awesome. How, how long have you been gathering information for this? I mean, how long have you been gathering – I mean – did you gather information specifically for this, or have you been gathering information and then a film just sort of revealed itself from the gathered information? Yeah, it's, it's the latter. I've, I've been, you know, the first interview that's in the film um, was my first interview with John Alexander and my first interview with Nick Pope. That stuff goes back to the, um, that stuff goes back to 2007. So I have a huge archive of interviews, most of which are unpublished, of interviews with just about everybody. I've got over a hundred hard drives full of information. And so I was able to just go back. And what's interesting in the film is we see, like Nick Pope, we see three different iterations of his story um, because he's echoing the, he's echoing, he's telling the line pretty much all every time. And, um, and I don't mean anything against Nick. He's actually a big supporter of the film. But, you know, the story that he's told has evolved with the information that's available to the public. And um, and we get to see that in the film. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. How many how many films? Is this your first full-length documentary, or have you done more? No, I've done seven. I did um, in and UFOs. I did, I did uh, I've done three ghost movies, Ghost Asylum, um, Dead Whisper, and... Have another one, Haunted Desert, starring Amy April Allen, that, that's not out yet. And then I've done uh, um, Marilyn Monroe Declassified, Travis, The True Story of Travis Walton. I wasn't the lead on those, but I helped. And then I've done the uh, Disclosure Dialogues that I won the EBE Awards for in 2012. I've done this one and uh, several other just different productions, but about seven of them altogether. And that's featured yeah, you stocks and dozens of shows. But I, I didn't know if you had done uh, UFO-related ones. Yeah, the Disclosure Dialogues we put out in 2011, it was, um, it was a five-disc set, basically. It was a, a feature called It Could Happen Tomorrow, and it was all about um, 
uh, you know, disclosure, basically. It was an update then. It, it had a great cast. It won the EBE Awards. It won People's Choice and Best Feature uh, the year that we put it in. And um, I, we didn't release that with a lot of fanfare, but it's, it's, uh, it's out there and it's pretty good. Um, but then this is my second full length. Although I did another one about Snippy the Horse. <laughs> and we did UFO hotspots. I did these with Chris O'Brien. We did uh, we did uh, the, the one about Snippy, and then we did one about the Mysterious Valley up there in San Luis Valley, where the cattle mutilations happened. So those I did with uh, uh, it was Chris O'Brien and I made them, and David Hatcher Childress, um, the Ancient Aliens guy, uh, put them out through Adventures Unlimited. So there's another two of them that we did. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and uh, have you? Are you you're based in SoCal? Uh, my studio is in Southern California. I'm I'm in Sedona right now more than I'm in LA. Um, I I got a wow. house out here in the pit, and I'm just kind of chilling out in the in Sedona, which is pretty nice because everybody comes That's awesome. here. You know, um, I love it there. Yeah, I love yeah, it there. And every time I'm there, I visit people that live there. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great place, and a lot of people are being called here. Uh, you know, Carol and Corey was through here um, a couple weeks ago, and, and she came over for a little bit. Her and I have known each other for years. And um, and, and she's like, you know, I'm really feeling like I should move here. And a lot of people are. Yeah. Paul Davids, the guy that did Showtime's Roswell, he moved here right after I did. And, um, but yeah, a lot of people are showing up here. I think that's wonderful. It's, it's a beautiful place, and it's a um... – uh, it is a hot spot for activity, right? I mean, do you find the energy there? Have you gotten used to the energy there? Because I learned a couple times that I went there that uh, just from people that worked in shops and restaurants and stuff that sometimes people move there and they realize the energy is too much for them and they wind up moving like 10, 15, 20 minutes out of town. Um, so yeah, I wonder if... Sedona is a very interesting place and the stories about the energy are true. And it's not for everybody. And Sedona kind of has a way of choosing who it wants here. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Have you have you made peace with the energy? I mean, was it ever a lot for you, or has it always been okay? Well, you know, I came here a, a long time ago, like in 1998. And I was, here for, I was here for about 10 years. And I started Sedona Media Company, and I had TV studios all over town, and I ran the local TV station for a while. Um, so I'm familiar with Sedona. And then in, when the when the financial crisis happened, you know, all of us that had businesses here really took a hit. And that's when I went out to L.A. And then um, so I was in L.A. for like 13 years, and then I came back here. And I'm still back and forth. I split my time between Sedona and Los Angeles. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. But, yeah, I've, I've, I've never had a problem living here. It's the only place I've ever lived where I'm, where I'm not on the water. You know, in, in California, I'm always yeah. – wherever I'm sitting and working, I can see the ocean. That's that's my rule for living in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I live on the water. And um, I've, I think my whole life, wherever we've lived in the country, uh, I've always lived – Except for one place, I've always lived right on the water. My dad was an, uh, a design engineer, and he um, his amateur thing was he built 30-foot wooden boats, like, just for fun. Like, he'd build one, sail it for a while, sell it, start building another one. I think he liked the building more than the sailing. So we had to always right. live on the water. So we put his new Frankenmonster in the, in the water. Um, so, yeah, I just grew up around it. And I think that there is something about living on the coast 
that draws a lot of um, ufology activity as well. The water, I think. Maybe an easier way you to come in and get out without being seen. <laughs> I think that's true. When, when I lived, uh, the last place I lived was right in, right at the southern tip of Rancho Palos Verde, and I was directly on the ocean um, at the top of a cliff. And so there was nothing between me and Catalina Island and, and the water. And, you know, we had people over there all the time trying to find things, and, and I literally never did. And then when Carolyn Corey came in and did A Tear in the Sky, those cameras, those special UFO cameras that she had, we actually developed and tested those at my house. Um, it was one of the first places that those cameras got deployed with Chris O'Brien. And um, they, they got some interesting results. We never did. But, um, yeah, I lived there for six years just staring right at Catalina Island. I never saw anything myself. And I lived in Laguna Beach before that up on the hills, um, not directly on the water, but with, with a good view. And we never saw anything there. We had Ed Grimsley. And um, uh, who's that other guy that summons UFOs? Robert Bingham. We had them guys come over at the same time one day. Um, Ed Grimsley came with his night vision goggles and Robert Bingham came to summon UFOs and we had a barbecue in the backyard and tried to make some stuff happen and nothing did. It was really funny. Yeah. yeah, No, I I find that. Yeah. I grew up in Huntington and I live there now and right. Huntington, there's nothing between Catalina and, and where I am. And I don't, uh, I don't see a lot of stuff. I've seen more things in the desert than I have uh, over the ocean. Although I know people report all the time. They see things over the ocean, and some people report they've seen crafts coming out of the ocean, right? Um, yeah. But I, I think most in mountains and deserts. Well, there's definitely something going on around us that we're being kept unaware of. Um, you know, Gary Nolan in Accidental Truth, the movie, um, says – you know, what we're seeing, these things flying around, people think they're ships and there's people in them, but they're probably just AI um, tending to the business of the planet. And, and you know, it's, sure. it makes a lot yeah. of sense. Like why are you here surveilling this little far-off planet on the distant edge of the Milky Way when you can just send your robots? Yeah, exactly. Right. Why make the trip if you don't have to? Exactly. That's fantastic. And so it's, 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 I agree 100%. Why, why make the trip, I think, is our new motto. Um, what about abductions? I mean, do you talk about abductions in the film? Just because now I'm on abductions because of last night. But, I mean. Um, well, we talk about I the mean, experience I, or phenomenon is the broader scope of abductions. Um, sure. The, the, the MUFON has the biggest and most comprehensive and available uh group of resources for abductees and experiencers we you know if you if you become a MUFON member plug plug um we have a whole team that will that you can talk to about your experience or uh experiences and we have we have sessions and we have um people that can come together in groups all over the country and then at the uh at the MUFON symposium we have the experiencer sessions that are private sessions where experiencers can come and talk about what's happened to them. There's no cameras and no recording. And so people can come and have their privacy respected, but they can ask questions of people that can help give them answers. We've done a huge amount of scientific study on the experiencer phenomenon and on abduct abductions. 
And, it, you know, it's a real thing. And so for the people out there that might be listening and are unsure about how to share what's happened to them and how to talk to people that can help them to make sense of it all, MUFON's really well set up for that. And I encourage you to, to reach out because it's hard to find fellowship when you're somebody that's been a victim of this kind of activity. And so we talk about oh, it a little bit. Absolutely. But what we're really exploring in accidental truth is the connection of all these different phenomena. So, you know, near-death experiences, abductions, uh, uh, spiritually transformative experiences, um, uh, angelic encounters, demonic encounters, all of these things, and what they're actually teaching us about the nature of reality, I think is really, as John Alexander says in the film, I don't think we're at the point where we're even asking the right questions yet. Yes. Yeah, I don't think we even are in the ballpark in some aspect of knowing what questions to ask. Uh-huh, exactly. Um, and so as we, we learn more and more about what we're seeing, the, the whole implication is to literally the nature of reality and, and what, what this is showing us. I mean, what are crop circles showing us? They're showing us clues to the greater picture that we're not normally seeing because we just don't have any idea what to look out for. Um, the abduction phenomenon seems to happen for a variety of reasons. There's DNA harvesting, there's training, um, you know, there's different types of, of things that are happening to people. You know, kids say they're taken on ships and they're there with other kids and they're being taught things like uh, telepathy and telekinesis and then they're returned to their beds and they're not being, um, you know, they're not having their ovaries taken out or their eggs harvested. But then other people are obviously part of some kind of genetic program. And, I think MUFON's standpoint is that there's absolutely something going on and it seems consistent all over the world and that it's no longer an option to say that it's, that there's no validity to it. Normal people are having these occurrences and, um, and they're consistent. The stories are surprisingly uh, unique. I mean, there's a different varieties of stories. They're all very similar or the, the, within a sub variety of encounters the stories about those sub-varieties are all the same, no matter where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's too much of similar information from people who don't even know what other people have experienced for there not to be truth in it. It's just too much. People that are still no, denying, I always well, what do you think this all is? Because it's, I mean, really, what what is it all? It's all these people are just making it up for for what? I well, mean, for what for what reason? You know, Ralph Blumenthal, who's in the movie, he mentions his new book. It's called The Believer, and uh, it's about John Mack and all the stuff that John Mack went through. Uh, you know, professionally, I mean, he was put on trial for some of the stuff that that he did, trying to prove that the experience or phenomenon was a real thing. And and he believed he was a pre, uh, you know a pre, preeminent psychologist at the time. He invested in trying to get to the bottom of this, and his conclusion was that these are normal people having abnormal experiences. They're not crazy, they're not hallucinating. Something is happening to them, and uh, he got dragged through the ringer over that. But he stood his ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same thing we say to people who've seen ghosts or who've. Uh, had a possession or an attachment or have seen a cryptozoological creature. I mean, we'd say all the same thing, right? You're crazy. You're making it up. Um, I, 
the documentary that I watched last night was the the shock doc about Whitley Stryber. And, I mean, when you listen to those tapes, I mean, here's somebody who, you know, was not like some guy, you know, uh, living in his mother's basement trying to get attention. I mean, he was already a very well-known writer. And then he's got this tape where he's, like, screaming like someone is torturing him. Why would you ever want anybody to see that if that didn't really happen to you? I mean, if you're going to make a story up to make yourself seem grandiose, that's not the story that you make up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean that. No, you're, um, you're totally you correct. Around, hey, guess what? An alien raped me. I mean, that's if you just want people to think you're cool, that's not a story you make up. No, you're right. And so, I mean, do I look at this that something absolutely happened and we can't deny it or write it off to crazy people? Right, exactly. Now, that being said, are there people that have probably made it up to get attention? Sure. Are there people that make up there's a ghost in their house to get attention? Sure. Are there people that call the police and pretend there's a burglar on their doorstep? Yes. But you can't, there's always going to be a certain level of people who jump on a bandwagon thinking it's going to give them some sort of fame. But the percentage of people whose lives have been destroyed, um, mm-hmm. who are just trying to get through the day and not knowing when it's coming next, I mean, it's, it's, there's no way that you would make something up like that and take a risk of losing everything that you had amassed in your life. You know, I had a, um, a listener once back in the days when I worked on the Howard Stern station, and we almost discussed almost nothing but sex and relationships. But every once in a while, they'd let us squeak something in. And we did a UFO topic one night. And this guy that called the show all the time, the text told me that he was an ex-fighter pilot and that a squadron of them had seen something. And immediately upon reporting it, were called back to base and were taken into a room and told, you didn't see it, don't talk about it. It's not, you know, that's not what happens if there's nothing. If there's nothing, they they pull you into a room and say, are you feeling okay? Could it have been this light refraction? Could it have been the sun reflecting off your wing? Could it have been, when somebody sits you down, the first thing they say is, you never tell anybody about it. It never happens. You never speak of it. I mean, obviously, that's something. Yeah, well, that's been the uh, that's been the protocol officially. Is that whoever is managing this information, and we'll probably never really know who they are. Even the guys like the Elizondos and the Mellons and the John Alexanders, these guys are not the actual people that know everything. They're they are mid level instruments of of information. Um, I don't think I think John Alexander tried to get to, well, who did recover this stuff? And he basically was told, yeah, you. We're not going to tell you, and your official position needs to be that nothing happened at Roswell. But uh, the people that actually are managing this and running it, um, A, most of them are probably dead, and B, we're never going to know who they are because what they've done is so egregious that nobody's in a position to take accountability. So the mystery is going to die, and the story that humanity is going to be left with is the story that we're being left with now. And to get back to what you were saying about the military, that was a conscious decision on the part of the people that were managing the information that what we need to do with the front-facing military is turn this into a situation where if you were going to come forward with these kinds of, of reports, that you will be ridiculed 
and the ridicule factor pretty much dissuaded anybody in the military from speaking up about this stuff, and it's been super effective for years. And it was for that, that exact is to keep the normal military from looking into this. Yes. Yes. And when somebody says, don't talk about something, you never saw it. Well, then obviously you saw it because um, you don't, you don't tell someone not to talk about something if nothing's there. You just explain to them that nothing's there. You know what I mean? There's so many ways to explain to somebody in so many instances, I think you made it up. There's nothing there. You know, why don't you go see our psychologist and maybe you can work through it. But there was none of that. It was just like, no, no the, the, the first rule of alien sighting is we never talk about alien sighting. And, yeah, well, um, it, that's been a very effective policy. It, it, it's worked. Yeah. Um, people yeah. in the military are afraid to say what they saw, even if they saw something, because they know they're going to get hauled in. They're going to get a psyche valve, um, and, and it's going to go on their record, and it could be bad. And so it's been very, very successful in keeping these people from talking. I agree. And hopefully yeah. with whistleblower legislation, you know, people that have these secrets are going to be able to come forward and start revealing what they know. Um, I don't think it's going to happen immediately because there's a lot of logistics that have to be worked out. Um, but at some point, we're going to start hearing from some of these guys. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Uh, you are terrific, and I always love having you here. We'll find the film, and please come back and let's do this again. Yeah, so you can uh, you can find all kinds of information about the film and a link to rent it. There's no reason not to see it now. You can get it for like three ninety nine on all the platforms. It's 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 chump change, and it is a fantastic uh, doc if I say so myself. And I'm only saying that because people are telling me that. Um, the only people that denigrated it or your typical haters that come in and give you a one just because they, they don't want you to have stars on Amazon. Right. But for the most part, the uh, the reviews are in. The public is digesting the movie. It's in the top ten documentaries in the world. And if you only watch one UFO film this year and you want to get something out of it, this is the one. Although, you know, there's plenty of other good ones, so don't only watch one. But the website is yeah. accidentaltruth.com. It's Accidental Truth and then an S added, so AccidentalTruths.com. Awesome. Don't you think that maybe there's some actual off-worlders that are the ones giving you the ones? Like, this was ridiculous and it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Don't watch. Not true. You know? Maybe they're the ones giving you that. I think there's other people in the UFO field that have their own interests to protect, and and so... um, I know for sure that there was a certain cabal of uh, people that were um, waiting for the – in fact, <laughs> this is how bad it is. On IMDb, where you can rate a film without really having to, to sign in, you can just go there and give it star ratings, six people were the first people to give it a rating. They all gave it a one, and it was before the film was even available to view. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. This is a whole other topic for next time. But um, all the while that I was in the entertainment world and I started, I don't know, playing music when I was four, I never thought I would find a world where there was so much jealousy and backbiting until I entered the spiritual community and the paranormal community. And I was like, wow, 
It's insane. Well, you know, I have I so have a little joke like, about this. Jealous actors oh, on acid. I said it's like jealous actors on acid. It's insane. It's horrible. The UFO community is because everybody's attached to their thing. Somebody might be well, oh, cattle mutilations are aliens, and somebody else might be no, it's the government. And these people fight tooth and nail, and they're missing the whole point. Yeah, right. That it's the it's aliens and it's the government, and they're working together. Yeah, quite likely. And you know, the, uh, there's a joke that I like to tell. If you really want to know what the uh, the new age spiritual community is all about, put six yoga mats in a room with seven yoga students. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be fighting That's- over the mats. Yeah, and if you want to know what the definitive spiritual truth of the New Age community is, uh, wait five minutes and it'll change. Because it's always something else. <laughs> thing is always right. I don't, I don't want to pick friend. up the New Age. So, yeah, com, <laughs> And it's also where you can get the official T-shirt. If you Google Accidental Truth T-shirt, there's a thousand people selling them online, and they've all ripped off my poster art and are just selling my design. Um it, 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 it almost hits as many returns as the movie itself. It's shocking. But if you want to get wow. the real T-shirt, it's handmade by me. Um, uh, you, you can get it at accidentaltruths.com. You can get the movie. You can get the merch. It's the place to go. Wonderful. Thank you, my friend, for being here. And let's do this again soon. The wonderful Ron James, everybody, if you missed those links, sheenametalspiritual.com for me. And I'm everywhere on social media at Sheena Metal. Of course, we're at hauntedplayground.com liveparanormal.com and iheartradio.com and check out all of our affiliates. Um, Until I see you next time, speak peace, live in love, lead with kindness, embrace unity, always work to raise your vibration and know that you are loved and you are loved and you're super loved by me and I'll see you next time. I'm Sheena Metal. This is Haunted Playground. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.